Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the PR 2023 review of the year with W Communications founder Warren Johnson. It's been a funny old PR year. Some firms have had a tough time. A few firms have sadly gone bust, but many, possibly the majority, have seen growth of around 5 to 10%. Uh, and a decent number of cases, they've grown a bit more than that. So it's been a difficult year to try and sum up. But as I say on the show today, I'm joined by W Communications founder Warren Johnson to talk through the key themes and challenges of 2023 uh, and, and what that has brought to the PR agency market. Warren founded W Communications in 2009, and it has global revenues of about £25 million, pounds, that is, um, and an employee headcount of 200 globally, with, two, with 120 in London um, at W, 40 at Lotus, 25 employees in Singapore, and 15 in New York. W has seen low double-digit growth in 2023. Before we start the PR Moment Awards, um, 2024 are open. The final entry deadline is Friday the 26th of January. There are some exciting changes this year. We tweaked the categories, refined the entry form, and launched a regional champion scheme with no additional entry fee to reach work right across the UK. Do check out the PR Moment Awards microsite. Also, thanks so much to PR Moment Podcast sponsors the PRCA and thanks to our data and insight partners Meltwater for supporting this show. Warren welcome to the PMM podcast. Hey Ben good to see you. Um, lovely to see you too. Um, so Warren are you are you pleased with how the year's gone for W? Uh, it's been okay. Um, I think it's been one of our tougher trading years. I think we've delivered our EBITDA numbers um, but it's it's felt like a real slog this year. Um, been very bitty we had a super strong start to the year the summer was very flat um we've seen um a strong recovery in in sort of q4 this year although we're now in the kind of usual december uh, malaise of uh you know it feels like we're going sort of full european in terms of t- them taking august off it feels like we shut down from mid mid-december through to probably mid mid January now, so we're trying to really sort of secure most of our final year income by pretty much the end of this week. So we think everyone's going to disappear at that point. Yeah, I agree with that. Just on a bit of a side note on that, do you think that's because we we do you think we all work pretty full on these days, and we're all a bit more defensive about having time off when we're having time off? Do you think that's part of it, or is there something else going on? I don't know. It's a good question. I think people, I mean, certainly we've always, you know, shut the shut the business from around the 23rd until, you know, the second or something. And I think people get so used to that. I think that's become the norm now. And then as a result, people got a sort of 10 day base anyway. They, they're trying to add to it either <laughs> side. And so you get this kind of arms race either side of the actual kind of Christmas period where people try to be away for the you know, best part of the month. Yeah, I don't know about that. That would be, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, so, yeah, when we spoke before, you said the principal problem, you said something really interesting, I thought, that the principal problem for agencies, a bit like like W, was that not that you, you haven't got clients, you've got lots of lots of uh, uh, blue-chip clients, lots of fantastic clients, but they're not spending enough money. Um, why are they not spending enough money, Warren? I think that I think the the fun the dynamics of the industry have changed quite radically over the last couple of years, and I think we're now at this sort of... Um, weird hybrid um of kind of low retainers with top up projects on top so 
if if all things go well like the the philosophy behind it is not terrible you know it, it gives clients greater control uh it means you're not having these huge retainers with often fallow months uh so the client's not getting good value and providing the cl clients are committed to that spend the agency still get what they want now when when the economy starts spluttering that model kind of collapses a bit and you end up with large teams um that are set up to service retainer plus project suddenly the projects get we found nothing ever got cancelled it just didn't get signed necessarily or got delayed i noted that um when sorrel reported his numbers a few months back which were i think pretty poor by his standards his his key comment was he was citing delayed client approvals as his single message to the market which i thought was quite an extraordinary kind of you know message to land to the um you know to the stock exchange um but I, I guess you know that's obviously such a big problem that he felt the need to kind of communicate that and that certainly is i think we're seeing across the industry quite quite heavily and as a result but it gets does it get delayed into the next year i mean an endless delay in the end in the end kind of means it's cancelled right i mean it's... yeah i always use the analogy that it's like when you're at uh, an airport they never tell you your plane's been cancelled or delayed <laughs> for nine hours they just keep saying it's half an hour or oh, another half an hour another yeah. half an hour and you don't know at what point just to you know just to go home so there's yeah. been there's been quite a lot of that and even now we've got projects at six months old that are still allegedly happening i'm like so but that but that's a really interesting analogy isn't it because in a way if they told you up front it was cancelled you could then manage your business and your costs accordingly but if they yeah. tell you do you know what and there's there's a good chance it might happen and that just keeps rolling that puts that puts agencies in a pretty difficult position doesn't it because they bought in it you know in, in the end it's all about talent and skills and people but they're they're bringing those people in those quite often specialist people in um, around creativity or data insight whatever else um and they're not being used potentially massively and, look, and that's why you've seen so many um you know bankruptcies because you've this is coming off the back of you know the biggest wage inflation we've seen in you know a couple of decades uh, and there was this massive fight for 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 talent last year people overpaid for often mediocre talent so suddenly you've got the highest wage bill you've ever looked at just as the olden days of guaranteed committed retainers are kind of you know becoming a thing of the past so I'm, I'm, you know, it seems like every day there's a there's a new public bankruptcy. I'm sure there's, you know, for everyone that gets gets reported on, there's another five behind that. I'm frankly surprised there's not more. Well, I was going to touch on that because I mean, you said there's been loads. I've been surprised there hasn't been more as well. Um, there was Science Magic that that was that was an odd one, wasn't it? Because that was a, a big business that that went that that, that went down. Um, there hasn't been that many more publicly, has there? I mean, PR firms historically don't tend to go bust. They just they just decrease in size or go virtual, if you know what I mean. So there's uh, they don't tend to. It's quite rare, or has been in the, in the past, for PR firms to go bust. Agreed. I mean, I guess it depends how how big you are, how much debt you've taken on. I mean, certainly yeah. talk to Taylor famously sort of very publicly closed their doors. Um, and the science and magic was a huge thing. They were, you know, the biggest luxury and fashion agency for a decade. You know, yeah. that a very high profile closure. Yeah. Um, and but, at one point, a very, very good business, you know, doing great work. So it was quite, yeah, yeah. it was surprising. I mean, um, honest, but, but you I put that down to debt, do you? So if, take, if they'd taken on an office, if they'd taken on debt, people. Yeah, look, I, I think the writing was on the wall when they changed their name. To be honest with you, uh, I don't know why you would change, you know, a leading brand name. But on a, on a broad scope, when you the challenges of PR firms potentially going bust is around property debt, 
um and frankly people is it having expensive people uh, uh, who uh, who are and you don't have the revenue coming in from clients to for them to work on yeah i think look again as you as you correctly point out i don't know their business but it's what i do know about fashion is that you've got uh, a huge requirement for showroom space which is expensive you've no, got i meant in broader terms so not for science magic particularly i just meant for agencies per se uh the challenges uh as to why pr firms have a tough time on that on financially reach that crunch point yeah because you know people generally i think a lot of pr people want to be want to be liked um and you know you've got a it's, it's very simple there's most you know the biggest cost you have is headcount so if your revenue is dropping uh, the only way to protect your margin is to get rid of people. And yeah. most most people don't like to do that. It's tough. Yeah. And people have this, you know, people try and be nice. But at the end of the day, if you don't do it quick enough, it can it can bring the whole thing down. Um, and that, that yeah. obviously leads to a, a, an even worse situation for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you're when we talking about clients delaying spend, is there a reason for that? Or is it internally their their financial constraints are no we're just gonna there's too much uncertainty in the market we're just going to hold on to that is it as simple as that or is something something else going on i think I, I think you answered your own question i think it's pretty much that i think i could i could speculate elsewhere but i think it's just a bit of uncertainty you know no one quite knows how the economy is looking it's looking a bit dicey everyone's expecting consumer demand to dry up it's hung in there a little bit um but you know um so yeah Right. I'm um, on the specialist, which you just touched on there. So you bring in specialists around um, creativity or data. Or, or, you know, W does that, I'm sure other agencies do it as well. How do you find you're charging for that? Is that because that's related to the conversation we've just had, isn't it? Are, you, are, are clients willing to pay for that that extra specialist advice or do you have to wrap that into the, 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 the current retainer or project work? I guess it depends who you're selling to. Um I think typically our clients are a mix of marketing departments and then comms departments. I think marketing departments obviously are sometimes easier to um, sell more diversified services into because they're used to purchasing a broader basket of goods. Um, and typically there's, you, you can often asset price better. Whereas typically, you know, comms teams will, will often have a sort of fixed annual PR retainer uh, and so that everything needs, needs to work in that. So I think when you're, selling you know new services it's you know go where the where there's a bigger budget and that's always going to be the marketing team rather than the comms team right and how's pr's sort of battle with other marketing services agencies going you know thinking of social agencies digital agencies ad agencies are, are we on the up are we holding our own or are we yeah well you know i'm always a bigger a bigger you know standard bearer for that i think we're doing great i think we're you know, there's more and more, um, it feels like there's a lot more social briefs knocking around, um, which there haven't been for a few years, which um, I think PR agencies are an expert in picking up. Um, I think that there's, you know, as there's more and more pressure on, on media budgets, there's, you know, there's a real belief client side in, in the power of our media. So if you can apply that earned media uh, mindset and lens to everything from influencer through to talent, through to live through to even advertising, um, you're going to provide slightly left field solutions. It can often be a little bit more cost effective than what they're normally getting. Right. And just on that, those trends we just talked about there, does that, is the end result of that, um, of, of increased costs, fewer a reduction in, in retained accounts, does that mean that there are some, some medium long term 
elements that factors i should say that mean that running a pr firm isn't as profitable a business as or, or potentially as pro- prof- profitable a business as it used to be well i think the olden days of you know standard chunky 12 month retainer contracts um uh have gone you know i, I think there's some big you know press office accounts there's some big ticket corp but generally it's yeah the the the, the model is much more dynamic now so you the idea of just having a sort of standing army of staff which you map retainers against which is why it was so you know i i didn't know what i was doing when i set up my business when i was 32 um and it allowed me and probably many others to get into the business relatively easy and learn as you go it's a lot harder now um and because you you can't have that big reserve of um uh, of staff just just waiting for more retainers to come through the door particularly as you need to diversify your service offer more and more and more so we're looking at a much more kind of dynamic agile resource-based system now where you bring in experts at certain times for certain projects so again in the same way that clients are doing a blend of retainers and projects you sort of need to mirror that in terms of your staffing right so it's a good time to be a specialist freelancer 100 percent. okay um and i was my next question was going to be how pr firms can rebuild their margin but it's it's related to that answer is it It, you've got you've got to be a bit more um flexible on on how your how you hire um your people you just you know look there's there's still lots of money in the market um it was just it was you know five years ago it was really easy to make money you know you just it was there were healthy retainers there was less overreach from procurement um now you just you know you, you need a sharper business model there's still the same amount of money there you, you you know you've got there is i think a bit of overreach from procurement um i think the sort of level of being beaten up on fees is is i think boring everyone a bit the amount of scopes one has to keep writing is exhausting but bar bar that there's plenty of money and actually the opportunity to go beyond pr is is vast you know we're massively increasing our scope in terms of what we do with um with live events and experiential putting that at the heart of a lot of our comms programs and blowing it out across, you know, talent, influencers, social and PR. Um, and then, you know, going going straight into the, um, you know, into advertising, you know, we're, we're increasingly doing earned first ad campaigns. We've got a huge one, which we can't really talk about just yet, breaking on Christmas, um, on, on Boxing Day. Um, it's our biggest, you know, earned advertising campaign to date. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're seeing clients really interested in a more earned mindset when it comes to above the line so it's potentially a more ambitious business model but it's yeah. more complicated and more profitable yes right. okay yeah but um, i think i think i think over the last two years i think we've seen a bigger change in the in this sort of business model of the industry than we have for you know 20 years and that's related to people and the opportunities that you've got as a as a as an agency and 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 you know the media and marketing landscape you know there was there's just not a one size fits all approach to marketing now you know in the olden days you would write a you know get briefed in july ahead of next year you know you'd sit down with the media buying agency would be the lead agency and then the ad agent it was nice it was all siloed and quite well there's a you know there's an infinite amount of ways of connecting to consumer now and and with with the sort of rise to sort of you know micro targeting and all of the all of these other ways to to really get to the point of sale um you know there is no one size fits all model so the more dynamic you can be the more the more money you can make and as an agency founder and that that's more stressful is it uh well no it's it's more it's more of a challenge um right. and that's always fun you know it's, it's an agency founder once, once you get into a rhythm 
that's both good and bad because you get you know you get bored quickly as i'm sure you'll you'll get as an entrepreneur you want to be challenged all the time Right. Um, I mentioned my interest being a mixed year. What sectors were up? Let's do the, let's do the good news first. What sectors do you think were, had, had a good year in 2023? Our specialist travel division, Lotus, had an absolutely stonking year. So I think, you know, you'd be uh, it's pretty hard not to pick up the paper this year and not see that there's been a return to, to travel. So we did, we did brilliantly there. Um, our sports business has gone from, you know, sort of a, a nice little sort of side hustle to front and centre. You know, we're doing amazing work with everything from Carabao Cup through to launching stores for Paris Saint-Germain and the NBA. So super exciting there. Um, and, you know, FMCG, you know, um, continues to do well for us. It's it's our kind of evergreen. Um, and and from a what other things that seem to have gone well, and I talk to people, corporate uh, it has had has a pretty good time as well. I mean, that's historically in in times of recession, that tends to be the uh, the area of PR that, that that does pretty well, right? Corporate's great because you know the CEO always has money to spend. So we <laughs> um, it, it used to be a, a significant part of our business, which you know got got we sort of wound down a little bit during lockdown for sort of obvious reasons, but. That's very much resurgent as well. We 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 tend to do particularly well in terms of big big ticket international moments. So we we just did our first COP um, with um, uh, Exeter um, University Business School, uh, which is incredible to go to. Um, we're looking going out to Davos, um, and then we're working with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs who um, look like a more kind of holistic view to their kind of corporate comms. So that's obviously you know um, growing very quickly for us as well. And there's there's probably more of sort of global. Um, um, media mindset amongst a lot of these kind of briefs and opportunities rather than just being sort of very siloed in the UK. Right. Um, and not just from a, a W perspective, but which, which sectors would you say ha- had a tougher time in 2023? We've we've always done a lot of booze, actually. And I just I just think the the kind of consumption habits for alcohol are are kind of all over the place. Um, um, I don't know how, your, how old your kids are now, but mine are getting into drinking age. There's just not... That level of sort of crazed booze houndery that I certainly had when I when I was younger, and I think they're looking to try and adjust to that, and I think they're trying to find their feet. And we're seeing a lot of briefs coming and going, a lot of changing in direction, um, and so I think that they've had a tough year, and will probably continue to do so as well. I think at the very super, the, the very top end, they're always making money, but you could say that across, yeah, any any sector at all. Um, yeah. But let's say in the mainstream, it's more challenging. Uh, clearly, the tech sector's had a tough time, isn't it? That's it's been a, a bit patchier than I think some might suggest, but it's been a it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, we we obviously we have Sony as our big lighthouse account. They've had a great year so far, but it's um, I think I think it was more a case of the 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 um, tech sector that was susceptible to funding. So we've not had that much tech startup or tech tech growth. So we we've been quite well insulated. We've seen other people getting. Yeah, hammered by it as well. But um, it seems like their correction is probably finished now. I think they probably all all of the big sort of tech titans have cut the headcount they've needed to, and seem to be trading really well again. Yeah, it's, 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 it is patchy. I mean, you you talk to some tech agency bosses who are having a really difficult time, and then you talk to another one who's all right. Um, so it's not it's not you you can't sort of sum it up. It's like a lot of this stuff you can't sum up in 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 a sentence. We should just give a little shout out to hospitality because that that's had a good year, right? Yeah, it's been great. We've had some fun there, actually. And it's been nice to see people out dining again, um, having you know, been an investor in the sector personally for 
15 years we've had some you know real ups and downs and certainly helping some of our businesses trade through covid was uh, an eye-opener to say the least you know with pizza pilgrims we had to invert their business model send food out you know from their kitchens to people encourage them to make it um which is always a bit of a, a bit of a risk but yeah it's come back i mean certainly hotels as well in particular we've we've uh, you know across all of our international businesses we probably get a hotel brief every day at the moment it's just it's it's incredible the amount of openings that are happening and then with all those openings there's always some really interesting hospitality and f&b opportunities but yes look it's been a good year i think it will be more challenging next year and when we spoke before you talked about events um and experiential having a really good um 2023 just just give us a little insight into that because it, it clearly works you then take that across various different channels right yeah, we like to put it at the kind of heart. So we've looked, we sort of for- formalised our offer, which is WXP, which is our kind of experiential offer. We've been doing stuff for everything from Patron through to Paris Saint-Germain through to COP. And it's it's great. You know, people really believe in, I think, coming out of lockdown. Um, people want, crave, you know, live, tangible experiences that you can really, you know, connect to consumers. I think the luxury industry has been doing it brilliantly for a really long time. And they they've... The amount they invest in what they refer to as VIC is very important consumers. And I think that's had a trickle down effect. I think, you know, all of us should really look at the playbook for luxury marketing, which is the gold standard by, by so many metrics. Um, and that's always experience based, you know, and it's rich and it's expensive and it's well done. And you look at all their profits and they're, they're through the roof. And I think that there's a really good playbook for how you create real experiences for consumers to share we always talk about this kind of source report repeat model where you create a source event which a handful of people can go to you have some interesting people in media that report on it and then you give this content that then gets pushed out through social which gets repeated and that's how you get it amplified yeah it's a, a good strategy for pr firms it's right at the heart of their skill set isn't it um there's been quite a few deals this year hasn't there been look, looking at the independent agency market um mainly you know there's been globally but there's been a lot in the, in the uk which is predominantly the, the listenership of this podcast um does that surprise you the number of deals that have been done because it's, it's not an easy time to to make the numbers on your earn out is it well <laughs> it's funny you say it yeah i i i'm not sure i'd love to be doing an earn out just yet um I think, look, I think there was probably the tail end of some some relatively easy finance um, that we need to avoid. Um, we've certainly had a number of interesting conversations where there seems to be a new breed of, of, of kind of mini group that's coming out of some of the networks um, who all seem to be relatively well financed, but perhaps not the traditional private equity route. Um, and there's a lot of interesting deals to create, I guess, sort of small to medium sized, you know, networks. Um, that seems quite interesting. I think could probably serve client needs quite well. And as a result, they're looking to scale up quite quickly. I think PR always seems to be quite a good, um, you know, acquisition to scale up and you know, improve the cash flow of some of these businesses. So we've we, we've certainly been in talks with a number of them. But as you say, um, you know, you want to be at the at the bottom of the uh, the trough with a, with a guaranteed uh, uplift for three or four years before you go into an earnout. And I'm not quite sure we've we've seen the worst of it all yet. Right. Um, I suppose on the other side of that, I mean, you've you've done a few acquisitions over the years. Um, have you looked at sort of buying any distressed assets in 2023, or is that something that you, you're sort of steering away from currently? do you know what we looked at a lot of them in 21 and 22 and people just wouldn't sell they felt that it was so low that they felt that they were doing a doing shit deal and a lot of those businesses have quietly sort of folded or or gone away so i, th- I think they've missed missed opportunities we're, we're always looking at deals i think 
Um, I think at the moment, obviously, you know, any bigger ticket items require us to raise some debt, which is obviously so much more expensive now. And so we, I think our risk appetite at the moment is probably not what it was. And I think we've got so many other organic growth opportunities, both internationally in vertical sectors like sport, corporate, and also into um, other expertise, things like um, experiential that I think we could probably deploy our capital better investing in people rather than acquiring external businesses yeah do you know what just as you were saying that made me think i think for a while talent was so hard to come by that those micro deals actually were were almost a a talent deal to an extent weren't they you're buying from clients as well but it was the talent that that often you know was the reason for doing it or maybe the core one of the core reasons for doing it but now the talent market's changed maybe there's not quite such the pressure to do those those sorts of micro deals. hundred uh, percent. And actually we, we looked at a lot of those micro deals and we actually couldn't get quite a few over the line because typically there was a degree of sort of financial irregularities. Often people were kind of trapped in their own businesses. You know, they take out too many directors' loans, there's a big tax bill coming through, they had unrealistic expectations of the valuation and they just, they, they couldn't kind of make a transaction. So yeah. it's... Um, we're now at a point where, as you say, it's it's we can be very kind of iterative in terms of our investment strategy, where we can just pick a handful of little, you know, we can do micro investments with freelance talent. Where we can say, hey, let's try a bit of work in AI, let's try a bit of web, let's try a bit of this, um, and we can deploy capital in a much more sort of um, uh, low low risk, you know, um, sort of pilot way. Yeah. And anything that gets any traction will then double down, knowing that it's been successful. And we've been doing a lot of that today, and that that's I think something we will continue for the next couple of years as the cost of capital is still quite high. Yeah, I mean, you've had some some good successes with your your international business, haven't you? Because that's you know that's grown nicely, if you if, if you know what I mean, over the last few years. I mean, when I talk to international commerce people, the the trends are similar to what we have in the UK, right? From a from a, a financial perspective, it's not it's not easy anywhere at the moment. Does that mirror your side? Maybe maybe Asia's a bit a bit better than Europe and the US. Is that is that what you see? Hey, uh, it's 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 hard to quite because they're all slightly at different stages. So the the US is still embryonic, so we're seeing really stellar growth there. But I don't think that's necessarily got anything to do with the market there. I think it's yeah, it's a small business that's growing. You know, quickly, yeah. it's quite easy to go from ten to fifteen or fifteen to to twenty. Yeah, a we're business actually, of that size, the state of the market's not really relevant, is it? It's about exactly. it's about just trying to yeah yeah yeah. And actually, we get most of our business in New York still from London. Um, there's a really big sort of nylon appetite, uh, which was uh, slightly our hunch at the time. And it allowed us to trade over there without having to compete domestically. Um, it's been really, really effective. Singapore, we've been out there for eight years now. And we are, um, I think, certainly we, we had a high uh, exposure to hospitality and F&B. And that's definitely, we're seeing a bit of a slowdown there. Um, they've obviously not had the same um, inflationary pressures that we've had in Europe or or, or, or North America. But there's definitely, I think, a little bit of a cooling in the market there at the moment too. All right, but and Asia's better, isn't it? I mean, it's not; it doesn't come without its challenges. Don't get me wrong. But we, I was over in India a month or so back, and and you know, frankly, their their growth limiter was they can't hire the talent, they can't find the people enough. If you see what I mean, that that was that. It wasn't lack of clients; it was lack of people to service those clients. Yeah, there's that. I mean, certainly in Southeast Asia, the challenge is fees are still very low. Um, right. And salaries are, are are quite punchy, and it's trying to educate the market that you've got to pay more for 
the PR. I mean, it, it's it's come a long way, but we're we're seeing just a um, a, a a margin pressure there because you know the expectation for salaries is out of line with the expectation for, for retainers. Right. Um, now, when we spoke before, one of the lines um, you said, which I quite liked, I was quite intrigued by, uh, was that digital eyeballs are increasingly worthless. What did you mean by that, first of all? I just think that, um, you know, certainly on a lot of the, um, you know, sort of media plans you see, I think that the idea of just sort of chucking stuff around on generic social platforms is, you know, the amount of sort of, you know, pre-roll footage you see on this so, so untargeted it's it's unbelievable so i think there's there's always a lot of hot air in terms of the value of putting your spend into digital um and I think just, just because just because it's got a view what does that actually mean in essence is what your your point yeah okay what, what does it do for you right yeah exactly yeah. and and i think you know there's been a um uh there's been a huge amount of um I wouldn't say a race to the bottom, that would be unkind, but certainly a lot of news sites are very keen to just get numbers for the sake of numbers and, you know, are using, you know, clickbait to do that. And just because I've, you know, clicked through on, you know, you know, uh, the world's largest monster truck, it doesn't mean that, you know. <laughs> I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm going to spend money on that particular publisher or brand or whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I couldn't quite work out when you were saying that, well, that was good or bad news for PR, because on the one hand, is there's an opportunity for PR to produce more better, stickier, more relevant content. But on the other hand, if 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 that trend that we've just outlined there remains, it's not very good news, is it? I think it's about being much more focused on your audience. Um, it's about, I mean, certainly we're seeing clients being very um focused now on what they want to buy. There's there's that sort of one or two pieces of flagship coverage that really trumps everything. Now that could be a piece in EFT. Well, it could be a very, very specific influencer post, but sophisticated clients have a clear idea they ever have done about what it is they want to buy. And it's often not volume, it's always quality. And so I think that's that's the role that we have to play. Yeah. I actually linked to that. I was gonna I just we haven't no review of the year, PR review of the year, we probably should talk about AI a little bit. Um how has that changed um I suppose your your workflow within um w has that made you more effective is that is that um meant that you can create more stuff for clients more in more time effectively where, where, where are we on that journey 100 percent. i think look i'd be lying if i said i was um a, a huge user of ai anyone that knows me well knows i'm a bit of a luddite but um it's you know the teams are seem very happy using it it allows you to mock stuff up more quickly it allows you to you know write copy um it's a really great supportive tool um i think it allows prs to be better you know it's probably like the you know the move from you know typewriter through to word processor through to computer it's not necessarily going to take any jobs away but it allows humans to be better so we're, we're seeing it from a quite a positive point of view certainly some of the mock-up the visual mock-ups we get are, in, are insane and certainly get a presentation to really pop so it allows us to help really sell our ideas better so at the moment we're, we're having fun with it and, and so of- as you get cgi some of the stuff you can do with kind of you know you know um cgi stunts allows you to kind of run wild in a way that you know actual physical production timelines uh and and budgets would, would never let you to do so the idea of the kind of cgi stunt we're seeing a lot of and that that's a lot of fun i think is a really brilliant new tool for pr yeah you wonder there's been so many of them now that that that, that it, it might <laughs> we might have overdone it a little bit but 
but they're still fun though right i don't think that's going to go away it's you know it's you know we sailed shit down the thames for years before anyone got bored of that so i think, right. I think there's a while to go for uh, cgi stunts but the um it's interesting the first half of this podcast is talking about problems around productivity and time and fees yeah. um that it, it you would hope that um ai tools and you know these days i don't i don't think it's gonna be one one great they, they tend to be point solutions don't they for for, for whatever whatever task you've got in mind at that particular moment but you'd hope that they are going to help um increase pr firms productivity right 100 percent. and i think you know i think the big challenge that we have as an industry is yeah as as fee growth i think is 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 hard to maintain as i think there's greater scrutiny from clients it's up to us as an industry to you know make make more profit with the same amount of revenue coming in and that's down to productivity um and i think historically as an industry we've perhaps been quite wasteful um and and, and I think by by sharpening up our skill set and having better digital tools to help us do that i think that's going to help uh, you know help certainly maintain our margin and and increase the value that we provide our clients now you mentioned floating stuff down the, the thames there and it's it's what that was that was an emotive um topic in pr wasn't it and um i i wonder whether the emotive topic of its day is, is that balance between working from home um, and in the office, um, uh, and uh, uh, sort of almost become the ADE of, of our time, isn't it? If you if you if you want to if you want to um, crack a, a conversation going with a bunch of PR people, you, you talk about um, that um, that working from home balance. That yeah. W has, has, has famously made well once it's staff in the office four days a week. Um, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say we're famous for that, but um, our, our, uh, yeah, we we encourage everyone to be in four days a week, um, right? I'm in. I'm in five. Um, I, I like being in the office. Um, I like relaxing at home, and I like working in the office. It's worked for me for you know twenty five years now. So um, yeah, look, it's it's. I think I think the idea that we all have to have one size fits all in every single company is madness. It yeah. flies the face of the whole concept of hybrid flexibility. As a business owner, I've decided how I I like to work. I've decided how my senior board like to work. And we've discussed with the team how they like to work. We found that this provides the right balance. We have, you know, you can see my yeah, we're in the middle of central London. It's great. We provide everything while people are here. Um, and people love collaborating together. So um that that is part of our culture. Other businesses want to do things differently. You know, I'm sure there's. But to be fair, there's there's some PR firms who want people doing five days a week. So it's it, it, yeah, I think you're right. It is a choice, isn't it? It's a choice for the employer, employer, yeah. and it's a choice for the employee. Um, yeah, and, and and I think employees sort of saying, I only want to do two or three days in the office. Go, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. That doesn't really work for me. Um, but that PR agency down the road, that's exactly how they work. So you'd be a perfect fit for them. So. I don't think anyone should apologise for how they how they want to work. We all have different working styles. I think all of the agencies will evolve into different models, which is great for an employee. You get to, you get then to pick the one you want. If you want to be in a yeah very ambitious um you know um, high you know high growth environment, you come somewhere where there's a bit more in office stuff because you're going to pick up more stuff. If you want a slightly more relaxed uh, pace that that you know allows you to have a more of a sort of work-life balance um then you go and work somewhere where there's less requirement to be in the office yeah my, my only sort of counter to that is we've as i'm sure everyone has been struggling with the sort of um you know sort of pandemic of mental health problems uh, and we've actually found that um by, by having people in the office more often together creating more of a support network we've actually reduced the amount of um 
mental health problems. We've also doubled down on our private health insurance that we got for everyone to include private mental health insurance as well. So we feel like we've covered that problem off twice. Right. Have you found it more difficult to recruit um, because you want people in the office more? No, it's an it's an easy question because um, we want people that want to be in the office. So you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a yes or no. If, if they don't want to be in the office, it's like great. Well, let's finish this conversation. So yeah. we don't want to hit like yeah, I'd never want to target one hundred percent the labour market anyway. There's probably ten or fifteen percent attitudinally right. Yeah, we've been one of the yeah highest growing businesses in the industry for a decade like there's a certain type of person that is excited by that and there's a certain type of person that's not the type of person that's excited by high growth is typically not someone that wants to sit at home in their pants for three days a week perfect um do you reckon 2024 will be better than 2023 it remains to be seen uh <laughs> you know there's a lot of variables uh the biggest one is trump um but you know we've got wars on two fronts um who knows? I mean, look, we're seeing a boatload of sports briefs. You know, it will be a summer of sport. So I think that's going to, providing there's no, none of the sort of, you know, geopolitical problems get any worse and they're pretty bad as they are. But as long as there's no more kind of black swan moments, if we, if we know what we're dealing with, you know, certainly we should have a good trading summer. I mean, there, there's so many sports briefs coming out at the moment, which is exciting. Olympics. Olympics has been, uh, you know, barely even mentioned, but I think at some point it's gonna, they're going to get their shit together and have to talk about it. So there's yeah. that, there's the Euros. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. So you would hope, you know, it looks like we've tamed inflation, providing that, um, you know, OPEC don't start, you know, turning off the, the taps anymore. They sh- you know, it feels like sentiment is is gradually improving. I saw a big piece in the business of fashion saying that I think something like three quarters of all uh, luxury marketeers are going to increase spend on brand marketing next year. So I think, you know, I, I think it's going in the right direction. So I uh, hope yeah. so. The um, you're right about the Olympics. I mean, the, the only thing I've seen about the Olympics is bed bugs, bed bugs, and Paris. That's that's pretty much where my mind. They they do need to crank that up a little bit, don't they? I know we. Well, I mean, we pitched on some. You know, some of the briefs that we, we that we discussed. Um, uh, we pitched for some Olympic stuff over the summer. They've still not made any decisions. It's like, right. okay, right. So we're going so, anyway, guys. Yeah, it does. Well, that maybe emphasizes the the, the, uh, the the point that at some point you do have to make a decision. Um, Warren Johnson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great, uh, great for you to join us for this uh, year in review for 2023. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.